I'm Stefan Siddig, and welcome to American Theatre Artists Online, where we talk with leading contemporary figures in American theatre. If you've been enjoying the American Theatre Artists Online podcast, I urge you to consider donating to help the artists who produce the theatre that we all love so much. Due to the COVID-19 pandemic, Many performers, designers, directors, choreographers, stage crew, and theater administration staff are either without a job or in peril of losing their jobs. The Actors Fund provides assistance to artists to cover basic living expenses such as food, essential medications, utilities, and more. If you love and enjoy theater, please consider donating to the Actors Fund today. Just go to actorsfund.org and press donate. My guest today is Julio Agustin, an accomplished director, choreographer, audition coach, author, and educator. He is a Broadway veteran, having appeared in Kiss of the Spider Woman, starring Cheetah Rivera, Fosse with Anne Reinking and Ben Vereen, Steel Pier, Never Gonna Dance, Chicago, Bells Are Ringing, and Women on the Verge of a Nervous Breakdown with Patti Lupone. Now, as a director-choreographer, he has added a Latinx flair to many of his productions, including a spiced-up version of Sweet Charity at the New Harlem Arts Theater and a Latin-inspired Guys and Dolls at Theater Under the Stars in Houston. He is co-author with Kathleen Potts of the Professional Actors Handbook from Casting Call to Curtain Call and he is the creator of The Transition Workshop, a monthly New York City audition studio. He is currently associate professor and director of music theater at Elon University, and has two forthcoming peer-reviewed articles on radical inclusivity and the absence of Latinx creatives on Broadway. Hi, Julio. Hey. How are you? Good, how are you doing? I'm good. Welcome to American Theatre Artists Online. We're so glad that you were able to join us. Thank you. Thank you for asking me. I'm excited. Yes, and we're very happy to have you here. You know, we like to talk to people that we consider, you know, leading contemporary figures in American theatre. We talk from, to everyone from, you know, artists, actors, on performers, uh, teachers, uh, directors, choreographers, and you do a bit of all of that. So uh, I think it's really exciting to have you here. And... Um, I wanted to talk a bit about your experience working uh, in on stage, but also your experience directing behind you know behind the scenes, your work as a writer, your work as a teacher, and some of the the things that you've experienced as a, as a Latinx you know um, person in the theater. So before we get into all of that, <laughs> I just wanted to say you know ask you how are you doing or holding up during this long quarantine that we're on right now due to the COVID pandemic. You know, um, I am, I am fortunate because I, I just started working in North Carolina at Elon University. So I have a full-time teaching gig. Mm. So I'm, I feel like I'm one of the lucky ones, but I'm lots, you know, the transition is, 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 uh, is happening, but I'm doing well. Thanks. Good, good. I just wanted to know. So, um, so now you're in you're in North Carolina at Elon. I know that uh, university. I was going to talk about that. And and but you prior to that were working, um, a working actor 
um, working a, a lot, you know, for many years on Broadway and elsewhere around the country. Um, but I'm just curious, as I was looking through your, your resume and all the things that you've done, um, how did you get your start in theater? What was the spark? Was it something you always wanted to do or, or how did that come about? Do you know, um, I have no business being in theater. Um, <laughs> I, yeah, I, I, uh, why is that? I was, a, well, I was a musician. I, I was, uh, I used to play piano. I, I learned piano when I was in uh, junior high school. I went to the public school system. I'm from New York originally, but I grew up in Miami, Florida and I played piano in junior high school and then in high school. And then I went to Florida state university as a music education major and auditioned for the musical there, not knowing what a musical was. And, um, they needed a Brown person. So I got cast. I didn't know that at that time, but, um, mm. I got, I got the bug, the, uh, theater bug then. And I wound up auditioning for musical theater. Their music theater program didn't get accepted at first year. Um, but I'm t the type of person that if you tell me no, I'm like, Oh really watch this. Mm. And so I, uh, I took a bunch of dance classes and acting class and uh, auditioned the following year. And then I realized that I've always wanted to be a teacher. That was always my long-term goal. But I felt that if I'm going to teach this, I think I want to do it first so that I have some context as to what it is that I'm bringing to the classroom. But my parents were not excited about me being in musical theater. In fact, they didn't know for two years. <laughs> so that's that's my, my story. And I... I've been lucky. I've been lucky. I've worked really hard. My friends remind me, but um, yeah. So so you were so your parents didn't know about it. That's an interesting. So you were able. Was it a cultural thing? I mean, you mentioned that that um, you felt like someone wanted someone who who was you know not white to to be in the production, and that kind of got you started. But while you were in Miami, right in Miami, Florida, uh, but um, then. You started doing shows, and then how long? It was two years before you told your parents? Well, my father knew that I wanted to do music, music education, mm -hmm. and my family was not super supportive. My father said, you know, it's his life. Let him do what he's going to do. Um, but my uncles thought I was going to be, you know, a doctor or an accountant or something, something with dollar signs, because um, I had pretty, pretty good uh, – I was a pretty good student, but it wasn't until – my junior year that uh, I told my mother, my stepmother, that I was uh, doing musical theater. And they, honestly, they didn't get it until I did a local production years after of Grease in, in Miami. And my father thought that was the funniest thing. And he loved it. He loved it more than any show I've done in New York. Go oh. figure. <laughs> and so once they <laughs> saw you... Um, doing that show, they, they started to come around or maybe they could see that it was something that you could do and, and uh, earn some sort of living uh, between that and music. Yeah, I think I think my father just thought it was a funny show. <laughs> he liked the show. <laughs> well, hey, that's good. You know, whatever it takes. You know, as the son of, 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 of a Latinx mom, I had the same, you know, when I was trying to get into theater and doing theater seriously and wanting to go to school for theater, she... Um, was always, you know, very supportive, but also questioned why that would be a profession. Uh, you know, she wanted me to definitely go into something where I could pay my bills was always her fear. So I think there's a bit of that stigma in the, in the Latinx yeah. community. In a lot yeah. of, and, uh, you know, and growing up, that, growing up in my household also, it wasn't, I couldn't watch dance shows. I couldn't watch things on TV. 
my mother, yeah, my, my mother back then had a saying for, for male dancers. We called them, she called them quaquas. And so anything that I did, I did behind closed doors. Like I would, <clears throat> I would dance my little dances in the, in the bedroom in secret. And so when I started taking dance classes, it wasn't something that they would, uh, they were too uh, excited about. Sure. Again, you know, it was a different time. Yeah, there's a there's definitely a cultural stigma uh, in, in in some parts of, of Latin America with with that. But I mean, obviously, you prevailed. You kept going. Now, how did you get from Florida to the Broadway? I mean, how did you get to you know? Eventually, you ended up dancing on Broadway and, and performing and acting and singing on Broadway. How did that come about? What was that transition like? I took the long road. I hitchhiked and uh, I caught the bus took the Greyhound, a couple of Amtrak's, but it was, I took the long road. I didn't move to New York uh, right away. Mm-hmm. I, um, I did some ships. I got a, a, a gig in Minakami, Japan for six months and did some regional work. And then um, and I, moved to, I moved to New York twice. The first time I ran out of money, had to go do another ship and then went back. Um, but yeah, it was it was a lot of, auditioning and networking and the stuff that we didn't know back then like all the business stuff that people get taught nowadays it was it was trial and error mm-hmm. yeah for sure i mean i think that it's 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 not easy uh and it's definitely a transition that you have to do but i think it's good that you were working elsewhere before so you were building your resume before you got to new york yeah yeah def- definitely definitely great and so your what was your first show on broadway my first show on Broadway, well, I was, you know, I'm, again, I, because of my experience, I'm able to, to help guide people through their transition, because I, I tell young people it takes about three years, oftentimes, before you can make that transition into New York, and many people give up between uh, within those three years, but my, because I was getting called back a lot, I was down to the end for things, and I didn't understand that that was a good thing, that when, that when you get a call back, that's a good thing. And I remember getting a letter from Susan Stroman because uh, I would I would dance I, I would dance back then. I danced really well, and I wasn't getting a job. And again, I didn't understand that you needed to make the connections. And I remember getting a letter from Susan Stroman saying, "Congratulations, your work was so strong. Uh, we lost the funding for this." And I just it didn't make sense what that was about. But um, it wasn't until I went out of town with Kiss of the Spider Woman, the national tour, which was, you know, a, a great foundation. I learned a lot, made lots of mistakes. Um, it was probably the hardest job I had because I was I was pretty green and didn't didn't know what that I was doing things that were probably. You know, I was, I was watching the guys and learning from the guys. But anyway, it wasn't until after that that I auditioned for a Broadway show. And then I heard that Rob Marshall, who was the, uh, uh, the director of our, uh, the choreographer of our show, he got a call from Susan Stroman to see what I was like in the room mm. before she would hire me. So that was, a, that was an interesting lesson that you really, that it's about who you know and they need to know what kind of person you are. So still here, yeah. And so that's how Steel Pier came about? Yeah, yeah. I was living in California because we had, after the tour of Kiss the Spider Woman, we had toured Los Angeles. And I thought, you know what, I'm gonna, I think I'm going to go out there and see if I can become a TV star. And uh, I lasted seven months. It wasn't, 
it wasn't the, the kind of industry that I was looking for. And it, it, it charged me to do things or to, to, to work in a different way than I was willing. Um, mostly being a Puerto Rican male and perpetuating stereotypes back then. So I flew to New York and auditioned for, I actually flew to New York to audition for the Cape Man. Oh, yes. And what happened? And, 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 and that was a terrible audition, but it was once again, uh, fun story is that they asked me if I could be more, and I was like, more what, more Puerto Rican? And they said, yeah. And I said, no, I'm 100% Puerto Rican. Can't be any more than that. <laughs> That's I had a good attitude. <laughs> yeah, but I had a, I, I had a, I've always had a little bit of an attitude, but I didn't know it was an attitude. It was just like, I don't know what you want, but tell me what you want. So I went next door and uh, they were having auditions for Steel Pier. And I was like, okay, let me, let me, let me do this. And since I'm here and I wound up getting it. So again, really lucky, right place at the right time, but it was a, the, it was a great experience and I really appreciate her and I appreciate, you know, I appreciate everyone with whom I've had contact because I've learned so much along the way. So talk to me a little bit about being in your, your first Broadway show in, in Kiss of the Spider Woman. And it has a Latin theme, right? A Latinx theme. It's set in South America. Uh, it's based on the work of an Argentine um, novelist, right? So my mother's part of the world, uh, and uh, Manuel Puig. And it's 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 got Latin themes, but obviously interpreted through a lot of American, you know, a, a lot of Broadway musical style by a bunch of white guys, right? Which is fine. But it did star one of perhaps the most preeminent. Latinx performers of, you know, of musical theater history, who is Cheetah Rivera. Did you look up to her? How was it working with Cheetah? Oh, it was, I was, when, when she walked into the room, you know, I, I, everyone seemed so relaxed and so chummy. And I was, I was playing the part of, you know, I'm cool, I'm cool. Mm -hmm. But it was, I was like, yeah, I mean, I still have no words. I mean, I got, I got to uh, watch her and learn from her, and and she mentored me along the way. And like I said, I made lots of uh, not mistakes, but but I did things differently, and um, it was it was incredible. And the, the thing about that company is that even though the the production team was um, mostly white men, um, Kathleen Marshall was was working on it as well, and that was a, a great experience. But the company, the company, uh, Richard Montoya, Julio Monge, Sergio Trujillo, they were all there. So I, I never felt, I didn't feel like, like I was having to play a part, having to zhuzh it up, having to make poop smell like roses. Because it was, it was a company of people who knew what they were doing. Yeah. You weren't alone. You weren't the only uh, Latinx uh, person in the room. So that must have made a huge difference. Yeah. Yeah. Good. So what about, so you, you were working on Kiss of the Spider-Woman. You talked about working with Susan Stroman in Steel Pier, which, you know, that must have been an amazing experience as well. And then you also worked on a couple of shows that were very um, seminal. They're important shows in, in Broadway history. First, um, Chicago, obviously, which you, you, you had got to go, you know, to be in. Uh, you weren't in the original cast, I assume, right? Because that was kind of at the same time as, as Kiss, right? Um, you, but yeah, you, I was... Uh, I'm sorry. I was one of the first replacements in the uh, the Broadway company. Wonderful. And so you must have learned. So, was yes. that was that your first experience with Fosse, the Fosse style? Actually, no. I have finished. Um, let me think. No, no, no. I I had done the Fosse. I had done Fosse. Um, 
the musical uh, that right the musical I, Fosse, I, first yeah uh, yeah so I wound up doing that first yes with Anne Reinking and, and Ben Vereen so so um you got a great so you got really thrown in the deep end there if you're doing Fosse the musical which was really all of the Fosse stuff right in one show <laughs> oh that was that yeah because you imagine eight o'clock ballet with with Nicole Fosse followed by a working with Chet Walker and, and all the others that were involved in the early process. Cause we did a, I did the last workshop in Toronto, a two month workshop. Mm. And then, uh, then, uh, they wound up, uh, I wound up getting asked to do that and to do Chicago on the road to do a lead on the road. And my, my story is that I always wanted to work with these people. Like I knew that if I took the new musical, even though I, it was ensemble, it would be working with Anne ranking and Richard Maltby and, and um, Gwen Verdon. The other one would have been having a, a, a lead role, but it, I really wanted to be part of history and learn from those, uh, the legends. And so I, I opted for that. Well, I think that was a good choice. Uh, it clearly um, you know, was part of your whole experience and it really added a lot and, and probably is part of what give, makes you such a wonderful um, teacher, director and choreographer now, because if you hadn't had those experiences, you know, you really, you know, you need those to be able to have something to pass on to your students and, 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 and to your actors. But, um, and I know that you also worked on productions of Never Gonna Dance. This is Broadway, still bells are ringing. And then I'm curious about this, the other show, I don't know if it was your last show on Broadway, but the show you did, which also had a Spanish if not Latinx, but a Spanish flair, which was women on the verge of a nervous breakdown, which was with uh, Patti Lupone in the lead and, and, and others. But how was that experience? Was that your last show on Broadway so far? That was, yeah, that was my last show. I was actually teaching full-time up at City College up in Harlem. Mm-hmm. And um, I was there for five years. And I, my goal is, is to get back on Broadway every few years just so that I have more information and know what's, what's, what is happening. Um, and so I was able to perform as um, Ambite in Women on the Verge of a Nervous Breakdown and drive Patti Lapone on a motorcycle every night. Um, yeah, it was it was it was pretty crazy with Brian Stokes Mitchell. Yeah, again, again, my goal is just to be around these people and to watch them and learn from them. And that cast was just ridiculous. The the, the amount of talent and you know the legends that were in there. That, yeah, and I mean it's a it's a beautiful score, and it's really it's really one of those um, shows that I wish had run longer on Broadway, and I thought deserved to run longer, um, but you know uh, life is what it is, and Broadway is a you know business machine, so if things don't you know, but it's a great show that I hope has life outside and beyond um, Broadway because such great and what a great show to be a part of as your 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 last show so far. Um, on, on Broadway. So let's turn a bit to talking about, you know, um, you've talked a re- little bit about what it is that you can bring, having worked in, you know, six Broadway shows now and a lot of other shows elsewhere, you know, um, you've learned a lot, right, about being a, a working Broadway actor. So, um, and now I know a little bit more recently, uh, you've turned, you know, since working on Broadway, you turned to, to, to directing and choreographing as well as teaching. And um, I know that you worked on a uh, Latin Latinx production of Sweet Charity in New York City at the New Harlem Arts Theater. Can you tell us a little bit about that experience? What was that like taking on that role? Yeah, um, uh, 
one of my major interests, and I'm hoping that uh, it catches on, but I'm hoping that people start understanding that that my work is about. I love. I don't want to say golden age because we're trying to change the the vocabulary of um, of the musical theater genre, mm-hmm. but the classics. Um, Re envisioning the classics for a contemporary audience, and so Sweet Charity was an example of that. Where the community up in Harlem, um, Spanish Harlem, uh, uh, lots of diversity, and so our idea, our team um, was to. Uh, I worked with Lenny Lenny Monroe, who is um, half I, I want to say Cuban, and she choreographed this production of Sweet Charity with a. Um, with an upper upper west side with a spanish harlem flair so it was very particular um edlin gonzalez played our charity and received great reviews um and it was it was an exciting opportunity for us to cast uh uh multi-racial not just latinx but multi-racial uh, uh performers in a production i'd be able to tell the story with with within this dynamic of with 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 these people and it was still you know it was so well received so it's important for us to keep doing these productions to question some of the the appearances of, of things that we can no longer do but f- figure out how we can still do them for today's more socially conscious audience well, that's great. I mean, I think that that makes a lot of sense, especially, you know, and you see now on Broadway, finally, they're starting to to do that with the way they're reinterpreting some of these classic, you know, chestnut musicals. But I think what you're doing with what you did with Sweet Charity and what you also then did with Guys and Dolls right at and in Houston at uh, Theater Under the Stars. Um, uh, what I mean, I think the idea of putting Latinx performers front and center and giving it a, a new feel or twist is really exciting. And, and so how did you do it with, were there, were there anything other than casting Latinx uh, performers, which is super, super key and important, what else did you do to, 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 to make it more um, of, a, of a multicultural and Latin experience? Um, that's, that's a good question. I don't think that we did enough, although, um, again, with every production that I'm involved, and with every team, uh, Dan Kanekis, who's the artistic director at uh, Theater Under the Stars, the director, Nick DeCrucio, um, we were we were really looking to um, re-envision this uh, Guys and Dolls, the musical, um, with first a Latinx company, and and um, uh, I had a paper, uh, an article published in the SDC Journal about our research, um, the casting, the, the collaborative pr- process, the critics' reviews, um, we, we brought in a dialect coach. Um, we, they brought me in. So having a member of the, of the creative team was important. Uh, what we're learning is that we have to involve us more in the early phase of, of the process, the creative process. Um, uh, because we, we didn't have enough. We didn't have enough creatives. Um, I felt sometimes, and it's not you know not not this particular uh, theater, but but in general, I tend to be the Latin police. Uh, <laughs> I tend to be the one who's 
brought in as the sole Latino. I think women women have this experience about being the only one in the room and then having to, to watch for everything specific to, to Latinx performers. And so it's important to not only involve us in the creative process, but have more than one person because one person equals a token. And that's the thing that when I, when I direct or when I choreograph, I, um, mostly when I direct, I make sure that I, that I welcome at least, I need two women standing next to me to be able to see what I may not see regarding the female characters, especially with, with a production like Sweet Charity. Mm -hmm. Um, but I make sure to, uh, I'm doing a uh, bubbly black girl sheds her chameleon skin next. Mm. And I have a dramaturg whose expertise is African-American Caribbean and the African diaspora. The choreographer is African-American and her expertise is uh, one of her expertise is West African dance. So for me, it's important to start from the beginning to deconstruct the foundation and not have one token, but to have a team of people who can give voice to the to the vision that you have in front of you. I think that's a really good point because when there's only one person, you can't, it's really hard to have a dialogue. But if you've got just at least one other person or two in the room who understand or who have a, a shared culture, then you can start to really have a dialogue because it's hard to talk to yourself. And sometimes the people that aren't Latinx don't really get it, right? Which is not their fault. That's just not their experience. So I know that um, recently I was going to be working on a production of In the Heights here in DC with uh, Elena Velasco, who was directing and I was choreographing. And it was so great to be able to not have to be the only person in the room that had any Latinx, you know, who was raised in, in Latin America and South America and who, whose mother was South American. I mean, I couldn't, I was always the only one. So this is great. And, and I, I agree. Having a, a partner, at least, at least one more person, or if you can have two, even better, uh, who gets it. I think that's super, that's a smart uh, tip and to bring people in early, right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that, that your example is, is exactly, it's exactly what I'm, what I'm, hoping to impress upon people because I, I, um, you know, pe people, people's lives, they, they, the, the impact of, of this moment of George Floyd's death. And, um, uh, I say pre George Floyd and post George Floyd because pre George Floyd, I, the theater, the theater hired tokens. We brought one person in just to make sure that we weren't called out by the community, by audiences, by activists. And, um, you know, now, now we're, we're being watched, you know, the community with, with, um, we see you white American theater and so many other organizations that are bringing us to task about not having just one token representative, but really making sure that if you're telling someone's story that those people are involved in the creation of that project. Yeah, so that you can ensure that their voice uh, is is there, you know, that you have from the beginning the voice of, if, especially if that project is about um, that culture, it's good to have someone on the writing team or on the production team that at least um, can give that voice from the beginning. So, you know, it's interesting to hear you talk because you, you've you been doing this, you know, professionally for a long time now. And even when, you know, starting back in the, in the 90s. Um, and so it's been a trajectory and you just started to talk a little bit about that. But as a Latinx director, actor in a mostly, you know, white industry, 
you started in late 90s. What was it like back then versus now? It sounds like you've already addressed some of that. The things have changed, right, a bit. But can you talk about the, the absence of Latinx creatives on Broadway and in, in, in regional theater? And do you think it's getting better? You just said the name of my article. I have an article that's coming out, a research article um, in Theater Topics. Oh. Um, the absence of Latinx creatives on Broadway. Ah, I must have read it somewhere from you then and, and probably um, put it in the question. Uh, so so talk I, about that a little bit then. Yeah, talk about that subject. Well, I want to I want to make sure that I don't sound cranky um, because I'm really, I want to, I hope that I'm a person who lives in, in a space of gratitude. Um, but I tell, I, I'm working on a one man, um, a one man show with my friend, a playwright, Tracy Lee called, uh, the short title is the Puerto Rican, uh, the Puerto Rican play. But, um, it's about people, people think they know me. And the problem is that they think they know me. The challenge of being like, I'm, I had a, uh, when I did kiss of the spider woman and we were touring Los Angeles, I thought, you know what? I think I want to move out here. And I remember saying that to, to, um, my dancer friend, Richard, um, Amaro. And he said, Julio, anybody can make it in LA. You just have to know what it is that you're willing to give up. And that was a, like a moment. I remember standing outside, having a moment thinking I could, I could be Julio Augustine could be a name that people know, but my choices of not perpetuating stereotypes of not playing the drug dealer, the thief, you know, the thug, my choices to leave Broadway shows, my choices that often impacted my career and occasionally my mental health because I, I just had to make it better for the for the next generation. There were too many people, I mean, watching Cheetah, knowing that um, this was one of the first Puerto Ricans to, 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 to get to where she was, but also wondering what was it that she had to give up in order to get there. And this is, you know, just my assumptions, but, um, I, I just decided that I stand on the shoulders of, of my ancestors, my ancestors, I stand on the shoulders of giants. And so I would not tell someone else's story in a way that was disrespectful to them. And, um, no, I think that's, that's super important. And, and I was talking to a, a friend of mine who's a Latinx actress, regional theater actress, who does a lot of Shakespeare, uh, Gisela Chipe. And uh, she and I were talking and I said, you know, it's really crazy that you do a lot of classical Shakespeare, you know, professionally. And I'm racking my brain trying to think of any other Latinx actor or actress who's done um, a lot of classical Shakespeare at a professional level. And all I could think of was Raul Julia. And that's one. I could only think of one. I mean, that's crazy, right? And then she said back to me, a lot of people don't even know who Raul Julia is. And I thought, oh my God. So I hear what you're saying, Julio. You know, you had Cheetah, but there, there weren't really a whole lot of, of role models for you. So you, had, you felt like you had to pave the way uh, a bit more, open up a few more doors for those coming behind you. I did, I did, but I don't want to take credit. Um, I read, I, I listened to her podcast, so um, yeah, yeah, really impressive. Um, not so much that I needed, I needed to, to to make to make things better for the next generation, but I also, um, what is it I'm trying to say? It was because I met I met other Latinos who were doing it. Um, mm-hmm. 
but they it was it was just um how i don't want to say sell my soul but how much it 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 takes it takes okay yeah sell my soul i would i would not sell my soul <laughs> no i think it's okay to say it listen um I've talked to a lot of artists now, uh, uh, you know, African-American artists or artists of color of, of, of a wide variety. And a lot of them have, have, have similar experiences, which is, you know, you're not making it black enough. You're not making it Latino enough. Can you make it more gangster? Can you do it? And I'm thinking to myself, you know, what the heck, you know? And so it is important. This comes from a, a part of some people in the industry not knowing or understanding the variety and the breadth of that, you know, because you're a Latinx male in the industry, you're basically only going to play drug dealers and gang members. I mean, there's a little bit of that prejudice still holding, you know, holding people back. And so I, I can understand your frustration, especially in L.A., but um, even in New York, too. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, I'm, I'm like, I'm blown away by this, by this moment, because... <laughs> It's, it's a challenge of teaching now because the students are holding us accountable in such a way that there's there's no space for to to see what what impact our our journey has had on making space for this current generation and it's and it's understandable because there's a lot of pain there's a lot of trauma happening right now but I tell like you know and behind closed doors my friends and I um. I'm part of this group, uh, we can talk about it later, but of uh, professionals in the academy, we talk about what, you know, we've been doing this for, I've been doing this for almost 20, over 25 years, and now people are talking about it, but we've been doing it. We just, nobody has, nobody's noticed. Right. Or maybe, maybe it just, you, it couldn't just come out of nowhere. It had to have a background. It had... The work that people have done for the last 25 years needed to be done in order for us to get to this moment now where there's a breaking open of a door. And one, you know, one could talk about whether it's, it was Hamilton or something else. You know, people talk about the Hamilton effect, at least in terms of casting, where now you know, there's much more opportunity for people who look differently, who, who aren't you know, particularly you know, white Caucasian, you know, people, others are, are allowed into the room a bit more now. So, you know, it may have been that, it may have been just leading up to that. But, you know, um, I wanted to talk a bit about um, a book that you have, which I have, and I think uh, I, I, I purchased because I think it's a really, really good book, The Professional Actor's Handbook, From Casting Call to Curtain Call, uh, that you co-wrote with Kathleen Potts. Um, what do you aim to do in that book? Uh, what is that? You know, because you have all this twenty-five years of experience. Is that what you put down in the book? I mean, what what is that book? What's the goal of that book? The goal of the book, um, it, I was doing um, for many years. I was doing a monthly workshop in New York called the Transition Workshop, and this was uh, strategies uh, helping either early career professionals or mid-career professionals transition to the next level, hence transition workshop. And it was all based on my understanding of what it was that those people who were working were doing, that those people who were not working were not doing. Because, you know, in New York, everyone is just as, as talented as the next person coming in, in behind them. But there are a lot of little things, the little tiny things that, uh, 
someone may be doing. This person, after their audition, they're following up with the director or sending a thank you email or um, making sure that their material supports their brand and they're not coming in with something that's going to confuse the auditors. So, so the 17 chapters in the Professional Actors Handbook, it begins with the brand. It begins, it begins with uh, unique selling points or USPs, the term that has to do with uh, 1940s advertising and looking at ourselves as a product, with a lot, which a lot of teachers talk, talk about now. But when I developed these strategies, it was about um, making it, just breaking it down into the simple things. What is your uh, reputation, your work ethic? What is your type? And then what is your personality? Because when people hire you, they want to have somebody in the room they're going to enjoy being with. They want to have someone who's very specifically one little thing who looks, sounds, acts like one little thing, and then someone who's going to be either reliable or detail-oriented. So just breaking it down to those three things, and then from there, taking it into the uh, having the, the, the resume that's clear and supports your brand, the headshot, the website, negotiating contracts, uh, like I said, following up for, um, for stellar results. So it's 17 chapters, easy to read action-based because I'm a person of action. So if you're reading something just for joy or for fun, it's probably, I mean, it might be enjoyable, but it's, it's an action. It's about action. And, um, I'm actually doing a workshop with another school tomorrow because, uh, the, the goal, the goal for writing the book was to get it into the hands of more people because I couldn't reach enough people with the workshops that I was doing. Mm -hmm. And the book is so great because it covers material that, unfortunately, a lot of students of theater don't get. You know, they get a lot of training with their instrument, with voice, with their body, with dance and movement, a lot of acting, a lot of their brain is really trained to, you know, you know, take apart that script and do all the objectives and the, you know, all the different acting methods. But one of the things that very little emphasis is put on in these programs to me that I found in the in theater a lot of theater training programs is the how to be a professional actor the business of acting and there are classes here and there but I remember even in my own training went to you know undergrad and grad school MFA I did seven years of of college theater training and I think I had one class that addressed um you know proper professional business um you know attitudes and how you should behave as a professional actor, the business part. So this book is essential as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. I mean, yeah, it's, 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 it's becoming more common. Um, a lot of the smaller schools are contacting me to do workshops. And um, I do if, if the class, if the teachers use the book as their, their resource, because I found out recently somebody contacted me and said, you know, you're one of the only um, uh, writers of a uh, business book that's a person of color. I think there's a um, another book that I just found out uh, by an African-American woman. I can't remember her name right now, but I'm exploring that one. Um, but people are trying to support uh, BIPOC businesses and BIPOC, um, they're trying to, to support us. So it's, I'm, I'm proud of this work and I, it's already like it needs a rewrite. I'm working with another uh, colleague to uh, do a rewrite because of content creation and social media and all of that right. but it is it, it's it's pretty simple and it's and it's uh 
it's a, I think it's a good resource. No, and, and so um, if, if a school is interested in, in working with you and having you come and talk to their class, do you do workshops on Zoom or online as well, call-ins, or do you go in yes. person? Or, I mean, eventually in person, I guess. But at the moment, you're doing a lot of stuff over, over the internet, right? So people can literally reach out to you and, and ask you to come speak to their class. Yeah, now it's super easy through, via the internet. I was doing, sometimes schools would bring me in to, to do master classes and uh, workshops and also do a, a dance class. So they would, it would be a comprehensive um, week or uh, weekend of, uh, of work. But now I'm doing it via Zoom. And um, again, they just contact me via email and I do it. If you're using the book, I do it for free because uh, you're supporting me. So, uh, Yeah. Well, that's great to know. So schools that anyone listening in who's working at a college or university and is using the book or not using the book and, and wants to know more, it's the Professional Actors Handbook from Casting Call to Curtain Call that you co-wrote with Kathleen Potts. Uh, so if people want to look for it, is it available on um, Amazon or other yeah, booksellers? It's actually available everywhere. I went to a Barnes and Noble and I was excited to see it there. But it's it's on Amazon. You can get it the cheapest on Amazon or through the uh, the publisher uh, uh, Roman and Littlefield. But Amazon is super easy. Yeah. Well, that's great. And I think <clears throat> that um, you know, and you you mentioned in our that you were possibly working on a, a new book as well. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I had I've had this. Um, go for a couple of years but in March when everything happened with COVID um, I have I've started interviewing um, that the book is tentatively called The Actor is Entrepreneur but the, um, the, the, the idea behind this is that so many actors are multi-hyphenates they are actors, producers web designers or actors comedian um, retail operator or, um, or host or wardrobe supervisor, or hair and wig. Um, yeah, so I interviewed people who have at least two. Most of these people have three um, successful careers. One of them, for example, is a Broadway producer of Be More Chill, was uh, the producer of Be More Chill while he was on the road with Fiddler on the Roof. So it's, it's a cool look into how to visualize what's possible because so many young people want to do more than just the one thing and in fact you have to train yourself to be able to support your career via a different career because you know we're making connections and riding that wave of being an employed actor and then unemployed for no reason so it's a, it, it's an exciting project I'm, I did all the interviews and I'm working on the right the writing now and I have a publisher who's interested so hopefully in the next year and a half that'll be out what a great time to sit down, hunker down, and do that work now that we have this um, uh, forced pause that a lot of us are, are on. But you know, but I guess you're not really pausing that much because you also are a teacher, uh, a, a teaching uh, now at uh, Elon University. Starting is this your your first semester uh, at Elon? It's my first semester at Elon. <laughs> so that's a lot of work, and it's a lot of 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 having to adapt and adapt to. North Carolina, but also adapt to a new program. Uh, I know you've taught before at other colleges and universities, so teaching at the college level is not new for you, but teaching at a new school is always a new challenge. So what is your main goal now that you start to work with the students at Elon? But by the way, Elon University, for those listening, uh, has a really um, 
a big reputation uh, producing a lot of really uh, talented musical theater uh, performers in the last uh, two decades. Uh, and it's been growing uh, um, exponentially since then. But so what do you want your students to know? Uh, what do you teach them? What is your main goal as a teacher so far? I know you've just started, but what would you like it to be? And what do you want young people to know that you wish you had known back then? What do I want people to know? Um, I'm, I'm fortunate to have, to have uh, started at Elon. I was, I was a coordinator of music theater before at Western Connecticut State University. So I've done this before, but for, for, um, for many reasons, I, um, I decided to just uh, leave leadership and focus on teaching. Um, but I recognized that as a BIPOC, I needed to have a little more, um, a little more, not authority, but just have to, to have a vision to, for training the next generation of theater artists. And this moment right now, it's just, you know, it's, it's serendipitous because of what's going on in the country and being one of very few BIPOC people leading a program, we have to start from scratch. My vision, and I don't know, um, so far I've gotten no pushback. My colleagues are all on board. They're, they're super fresh, hip, um, really determined to create, to transform the, the musical theater industry. And so my goal is to look at the curriculum and not patch it up with special topics course or add a add a, a black person to this course or add a Latinx or you know a, a, a Chinese course, but to start from scratch and, and rebuild curriculum um, mm. with a more I don't want to say global perspective, but it can't be white centered. We can't keep just studying. Stanislavski and Meisner and all the white men. We've got to, we've got to redo it. And and the exciting thing um, was that I discovered black acting methods um, and learning. You know, learning. I'm I'm still growing, but mm -hmm. I ha I have enough resources in other people and other other programs about what how do we create this how do we how do you create a dance curriculum for a music theater program that centers the most marginalized or centers um all voices so that's that's exciting and it's interesting and uh check back in a year and see where we are <laughs> absolutely well i think the students at elon are very lucky um to have someone with your experience not just your wealth of professional experience on Broadway and elsewhere, which is huge, but also just your own personal and cultural experiences from um, your life and growing up and, 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 and what you bring will bring a new perspective to them. You know, um, I, I went to school in, in Virginia, in Charlottesville, University of Virginia, and um, I felt when I got there, I was coming straight from, from Brazil, you know, Rio de Janeiro, Brazil, to Charlottesville. Uh, it was uh, quite a shock, a culture shock, and I was searching for any Latinx professors, any Brazilian, Uruguayan, like my mom, or anyone who wasn't not Latinx. <laughs> I was trying to find Latinx professors, and there weren't any. And so the fact that you're there at Elon now, I'm telling you, it's going to mean a lot for not just the, the Latinx students, but also those that are not 
Latinx to learn and to grow. So congratulations on that appointment. And, um, you know, I think you're going to have a huge impact at Elon. No pressure. <laughs> thank you. <laughs> no, thank you. And the, and the thing about my my life is that I didn't like I don't I don't tend to talk politically. I don't tend to talk um, it, because I'm I'm here to lift up all students. And if you look at my website or you look at people who've worked with me, I uh, I think there have been a couple of students who I may not have. Um, supported in the right way, um, and I and I know that as a as a young teacher, I made mistakes. But I do believe that you it's not ex, it's not exclusionary just because you're you're um you're centering black voices or Latinx voices does not mean that the other people suffer. It just again you have to center the most marginalized of voices in that area. For example, at City College, I had to seek out white students. I had to seek out. Um, the uh, South Asian students in order to make sure that when we did a production, every person in the audience saw themselves represented on stage. Right. It's about bringing as much as many different voices as you can and ensuring that you don't have always the same voice leading, but that you switch it up. Right. And that's part of what theater is about, having that flexibility to be able to hear a variety of voices because you know let's be honest it's boring if it's just always the one voice we want different voices and that doesn't mean that the other voices aren't aren't as important they are in their own turn everything will have its turn and i think that when you're not that main voice you sit back and maybe learn a little bit and digest you know i guess that the non-latinx side of me the the white guy side of me is going you know I learned a lot from those classes that had nothing to do, you know, with me, but I still, it was a different culture. I learned, you know, and so why not? Why not expand our horizons, especially a lot of students who are unable to ever travel outside of their own town or their own state or country um, that gives them the breadth of information that they need to go out into the real world. So I think it's fantastic. Um, now, we've got to wrap up because we're almost out of time. It's gone, it's flew, by, flew by talking to you. But um, do you um, have, if people want to reach you and, and want to reach out to you or talk to you, whether um, to get you to come to their school and talk about uh, your book, the prof uh, to work with the exercises and things in your book on the Professional Actors Handbook, or they want you to direct a show for them or work for them in some capacity to bring what you bring to their um program or anywhere else where can they reach you do you have a do you do social media instagram facebook what what do you yeah, yeah. um i know my my uh instagram and twitter is julio augustin nyc um and that's a-u-l-i-o julio augustin is a-g-u-s-t-i-n only when you nyc also my website is julioaugustin.com um and also i, I would love to plug this uh, new group that I'm one of the founders of, mtdpa.org, mtdpa.org. And it's Music Theater Dance Professionals in the Academy. And it's all, this is for mentoring the next generation of, of theater teachers. So theater, music theater, dance teachers. Um, but it's a, it's a group uh, to support BIPOC professionals who are moving into leadership or moving into the academy from the profession or looking to move into uh, university positions. But Julio Augustin, Julio Augustin is uh, the way you can find me. That's great. So um, people want to, though, that they can send you an email or reach out to your website and find out more about all these different things. 
that you're working on. And then if they want to reach out about MTDPA, they can as well. Because uh, a lot, I have a lot of educators and, and teachers listening in to this podcast as well um, who teach theater. So that'd be wonderful. Julio, thanks so much for spending this time with us here on American Theater Artists online podcast. It's been um, fantastic talking to you and uh, you have such a, a, um, a breadth of experience and information to pass on. I wish we had more time, but um, I really thank you for being here and um, we look forward to seeing all the wonderful things that are going to happen in 2021 with you. Oh, thank you. Thank you for inviting me. I'm, I'm honored and, you know, great, great catching up with you. And yeah, please feel free to uh, reach out to me anytime. We will. Thank you so much, Julio. Take care.